And welcome to the ninth episode of season two of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm filmmaker and dragon tamer, Giles Goff. And I'm bassist and master swordsman, Phil Coleman. And during this time of lockdown, we'll be trying to avoid screaming at the government until our throats roar by sticking on our film geek hats to analyse Mulan the live-action remake of the Disney classic that came out last year. We'll be looking at female leaders in the Bible, the prodigal's return, and the importance of cornerstones. Phil, what did you think of this film? You know what? I really enjoyed it, and I hadn't really watched the 1998 one that much. I like the fact that it was a bit more cinematic. I like the fact that it, it seemed quite relevant, especially in sort of like the, the Me Too era of filmmaking, to see like a powerful woman who didn't end up having a relationship with a master, basically. And to be honest, I absolutely love kung fu movies, so seeing something <laughs> that was had martial arts in it was absolutely wonderful for me. I really enjoyed it. I love characters that just don't care what gravity thinks, and they're just going to do their own thing, you know? Yeah. The practical effects in this film I really enjoyed. I thought mm-hmm. they were they were fantastic. I loved the physical feats that go on and it really sort of took me in. Yeah, it's it's really engaging. Like I love the physicality of it all, it's just great. And just generally that that sort of like idea of honour and respect for each other. I think that can be missing yeah. in Western culture sometimes. So I quite like that. So now let's get on to <gasps> Phil's Facts. Hello there. Mulan is a twenty twenty <laughs> American action drama film produced by Walt Disney Pictures. It's a live action adaptation of Disney's 1998 animated film with the same name, itself based on the Chinese folklore story The Ballad of Mulan, or Hua Mulan. This is the first Disney live-action remake to receive a PG-13 rating. Uh, this was mainly because of the brief shots of corpses and scenes heavily implying death. Oh, wow, okay. Well, that was enough to get it PG-13. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Mushu, the, uh, the dragon, does not appear in the live-action remake. Uh, Disney made the choice to ensure that the live-action remake stayed true to Chinese culture and traditions. Instead, Disney included a phoenix in the film, which is a sign of mm-hmm. peace and prosperity in Chinese culture. I was exactly at the wrong age when Mulan came out in 98, because I was 15, and by that point, you're far too cool to be going to, to the cinema to watch sort of Disney animated films. I was seven. I remember watching in, um, I think I had like a Pixar film on video. Mm-hmm. It was probably Toy Story because mm-hmm. I watched that film to death. And um, I remember seeing the adverts for Mulan and all the musical numbers and that and I'm thinking, I really want to watch that actually. It's really good. And then never did. <laughs> so um, I just never quite got round to it, you know. Ming-Na Wen, who voiced the title character Mulan in 1998 has a cameo in the film as an esteemed guest who introduces Mulan to the Emperor. I was I was on the lookout for Mignolwen because it's the obvious thing you'd do to have the cameo in there, oh, isn't yeah, it, you know? Yeah. Oh, she's a, she's older. She, she's like, you got got the whole passing the torch thing, mm. you know, going on. And well, it's almost like passing the torch between actors, isn't it? Exactly. Rosalind Chow, I think, plays Mulan's mother and she's more famously known as Keiko O'Brien from Deep Space Nine. That's where See, we know the, Deep Space Nine and Voyager are the two seasons, two series that I've not watched yet. Okay. Short version. Deep Space Nine's awesome. We're probably going to do a, an episode on it one day. Voyager, just get round to it when you can. No rush. Okay. No rush I like at the all. idea of Captain Janeway. Yeah, everyone likes the idea of Captain Janeway. Oh, no. The idea of <laughs> Captain Janeway is great. <laughs> In practice... Great. And that's an entirely other episode right there. (laughs) So, the Bucket of Water Uphill training sequence was also famously used in the 36th Chamber of Shaolin from 1968. Nice. Only that movie had the monks wearing daggers under their armpits. 
for extra motivation. Of course. Because, uh, you know, why wouldn't you? Well, th- 36 Chambers is also the first Wu-Tang Clan album. Those guys were nuts about all those kind of kung fu movies. I mean, that's why they're called the Wu-Tang Clan in the first place, well, you know? So well, Yeah, that, that does make yeah. sense. What the listeners don't know is before the world went crazy, I used to do obstacle course races, OCRs, that were all about kind of physical endurance and bucket carries and all, all this sort of thing. Seeing her in, walking up there with the uh, buckets of water, like, go on, go. To be you fair, know. there was that bit where she's carrying them up like arms straight like that, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> do it, yeah. You know, just kind of like I was, I was really rooting for her. You know what I mean? The film does not feature any of the musical numbers from the original Mulan from 1998, but these songs are homage throughout the film. Uh, an instrumental track of "Honor to Us All" is heard when Mulan applies makeup, and some of the lyrics to "I'll Make a Man Out of You" are spoken by Commander Tung as well. Uh, some of the lyrics to "A Girl Worth Fighting For" are spoken by the soldiers when discussing their ideal woman no that's that's awesome which I think is really cool. Actor and martial artist Jet Li, who plays the Emperor, admitted turning down the role uh, because of the script and the pay, in his words. But afterwards, his daughters reminded him that it was important for Disney to shine a light on Chinese culture. So he backtracked and accepted the role. I would love to see like a, a collection of actors who've done certain roles purely because their kids told them to do it. But that could be a that could be an episode in itself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Ewan McGregor it. only played Obi Wan Kenobi because he wanted his kids to see something. Before they of his before they turned eighteen. And yeah, I think to be Vigo, fair, Hugh McGregor was in quite a lot of like more R-rated stuff before mm, he did. So Viggo Mortensen's son convinced him to play Aragorn because he was a massive Lord of the Rings fan as well. So that's, there's that's so many cool. of them out there. Commander Tung and Cheng Honghui are decomposite characters, both being based on Mulan's commanding officer Li Shang from the animated film. Essentially, Li Shang split into two different characters. Uh, this was done due to the the hashtag Me Too movement, as confirmed mm. by the filmmakers. This is. Uh, who understood that Mulan having a romantic relationship with her superior would have probably raised questions about power dynamics. Instead, her love interest here is fellow recruit named Cheng Honghui. As Li Shang was a favorite, a fan favorite character from the animated film, mm. this change resulted in severe backlash from the yeah. fans. I've heard the term composite character before, but I've never heard decomposite character. But it makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah, it's, it's it's makes absolute sense that you would do that. You know, you'd sort of split them up a little bit. One thing I find interesting is that she never admitted her feelings for the her fellow soldier you know there's that moment mm. she kind of almost touches his hand her hand kind of brushes against yeah. his and then she's on a horse and then she's she's off and so you I never... have to go my people need me <laughs> well she she never seems to admit it to herself or the audience or anything you're never entirely clear how she feels about him does that make sense of course yeah I, 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 I yeah. did pick up on that myself like I was just thinking mm. just tell him please <laughs> you know just he obviously quite likes you <laughs> you could have nice babies or something <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for those, Phil. Those were delightfully esoteric. One of the things you can't avoid in this film is gender and how it's represented. And we are obnoxiously male, so there's really only so much we can say on the subject. So I got us a guest in. What can I say? What are you going to do? So I got us a guest in who can talk about that particular subject. Let's hear what she has to say. Hello, my name is Polly Taylor. I'm an adult educator, lecturer, and trainer. I work for a charity that supports people with multiple and complex needs, including addiction and trauma histories. I have a particularly keen interest in the way traditional gender roles are challenged within popular culture. Polly, it is an absolute delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming along. So let's jump straight into it. Mulan. 
Why did Disney decide to make this film? Well, to be perfectly honest, how could they not? It's an ancient tale. It dates back to the Wei dynasty and has been retold within the Song dynasty. It's it's an ancient poem that then has been translated into a play and then translated into the into uh, popular culture and been in the cinema. It's been around for a really long time. So, so they like going for stuff that's rights-free then. <laughs> uh, it does feel a little bit that way, yeah. <laughs> but also, it's so important for young people, well, for all people, to be represented in popular culture, no matter what your, your cultural background or your ethnicity. And up until 1992, Disney animations had predominantly been animal-based or had mm -hmm. a, a Caucasian cast. It wasn't until 1992 where we had Aladdin and then Pocahontas in 1995 and Mulan was 1998. So it broke from that non-traditional family set up to having people of colour in the lead roles and breaking from the norms of the classical Disney princess. You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> so what are the key differences between the most recent live action Mulan and the animated version? I don't even know where to start. <laughs> There are a tremendous amount of differences. I first need to highlight something really, really important, which is crucial to this question. So generally speaking, in 20th century filmmaking, female characters within action films are generally damsels, okay? And to combat this, filmmakers started turning these female damsels into badasses. But the badass identity reduces female strength to how well it can imitate male physicality. Mm -hmm. So with the animation Mulan, she defeats her enemies by using her mind. She doesn't use her strength to prove herself, but rather inventive thought and, and quick understanding. So she breaks mm -hmm. the badass paradigm, yeah. which is really, really important. It is less emphasised, I think, in the live action version so very much in the animation you see that she can't complete some of those physical tasks because she is I'm going to air quote again weaker um, because she's a, a female so she has to use ingenuity to complete those tasks and in the end she defeats her enemies by using that ingenuity. Um, I got you to watch the live action version for this podcast and I could tell that you were bitterly disappointed by it. Oh I know I really didn't want to be disappointed mm -hmm. by it but I loved the animation so so much and I think that's part of the problem with mm -hmm. these live actions coming out when you still have the generation who originally saw the animation in the cinemas and was yeah. still young enough to appreciate the magic of that animation and all the themes that it brought up and as somebody who's you know really concerned with understanding all aspects of humanity to have some of those themes lost in this live action was so heartbreaking. Okay so let's talk about what was lost in the, in the, the new vision. What does, what does Mulan do then in, in terms of gender representation? In terms of gender representation, Mulan becomes a consummate strong female character, not only because she 
literally is strong, but because she demonstrates agency consistently mm. throughout the story, her success transcends gender in both adaptations, which is good. In the new version, there's not so much emphasis on this love interest either. Yeah. Which I really liked, actually. Mm. That bit was like, let's smash the patriarchy, okay? Let's, <laughs> let's not have her be validated by some man. She is validated by her own achievements. She is recognised because of her own achievements. Mm. So that was like, thank you, Disney. That bit was great. But there are other aspects of it that the gender roles get tackled in, in different ways in 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 both versions mm -hmm. and in the animation you have this scene where she cuts off her hair yeah. in order to enlist they've acknowledged that that is actually redundant because in imperial china at that time it would have been perfectly normal for men to have long hair so that wouldn't be seen as strange what happens for her to then be identified as female i'm air quoting again i'm going to do that a lot which is a bit lost in a podcast isn't it to be identified as female when she she comes back to base her hair is down she's taken off kind of the armor it's when she emerges and finally accepts herself as a woman because they introduce these three virtues um into mm -hmm. this version of the film the virtues of loyal brave and true and mm -hmm. when they swear their oath Mulan can't say the word true when she swears her oath when she becomes wow. the warrior because she knows she isn't being true to herself I missed that I'm gonna have to watch that again I missed that a little bit it's, it was such a crucial moment in it because what it does is it shows that this isn't about her trying to be a man this is mm -hmm. about her uh, trying to retain her family's honour which is why also the story of Mulan was accepted all those years ago in China because it was about family honour so it was okay for her to have cross-dressed it was okay for her to lie because she was preserving her family's honour, which is why it was... Well, it's suggested that's why it was so accepted. Yeah, there's much more of an emphasis on, on collective responsibility rather than individual agency, in the, at least in the in the culture of Imperial China as it's presented, anyway. Yeah, the other big difference between the two films is the introduction of the witch warrior. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've kind of looked at that a little bit, and it's almost like this whole yin and yang of these yeah. qualities, this, this strong sense of chi within these women and how they have both wielded it differently so they kind of like work really well with one another mm -hmm. and she has this show the first showdown with this witch warrior and she kind of comes to she's been knocked unconscious and she comes to we also have the introduction of this cgi phoenix which is quite incredible looks a mm -hmm. little bit like forks from the harry potter series yeah 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 Yeah, and she comes to and she realizes that she has to accept this part of her she has to accept the fact that she is a woman and it was never about the fact she didn't want to be female, but she wanted to be able to do this for her father, do this for her family, embrace this chi within her. We see her training with a, a staff right at the start of this film, which is yeah. not the case in the animation. So we know that she has these skills that aren't necessarily feminine or daughterly in, in this time that she's living in. So she comes to from being knocked unconscious and embraces this and she strips off this armour. So that armour being physical and metaphorical representation yeah. of this barrier. She strips that all back and she's riding through the kind of mist and whatever and her hair's all flowing and 
it's suddenly curly. Whereas when you saw her um, dressed as herself at the start of the film, it was very much straight. You know, now it's suddenly curly. What's going on there? Why did we need maybe to was, do that? Maybe there was just a lot of moisture in the air at the time. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of moisture in the air. <laughs> awesome. Polly, thank you so much for joining us there. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Giles. It's been great to be here. That was Polly. Phil, what did you think? I always like listening to Polly. Like, you know, she, um, she always has like very strong opinions on things and she's well informed about them as well. It's nice to get uh, that kind of viewpoint on the film, you know. Definitely. And now it is time for <gasps> Finding the Faith in the Film. Ma, 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 ma. <laughs> Gonna try and make it different every time, you know. Mm-hmm. So. And and I respect that. I oh, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Now Mulan obviously stands out in literature in the ancient world as a woman who is also a warrior. This is unusual for all the patriarchal reasons that you would normally hear about women being in the weaker sex. And mm. for the avoidance of doubt, neither myself nor Phil believe or endorse those kind of views because, quite frankly, they're silly. They're just daft. When you see a woman give birth, you will completely let go of any notion of women being the weaker sex at all. Oh, you know. Mate. I think I'm more afraid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just no, there's no doubt. You'll be mind. fine, Phil. I believe in you. I Thank know you, you can do this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Love the positive affirmation. Anyway, the Old Testament is also thought of as being a text that perpetuates those kind of patriarchal views. And whilst there's some truth to that, it's not always the case. Phil, have you ever heard of a Bible character called Deborah? No. <laughs> no, no. That, I don't know why. That, that just took me completely by surprise because I'm imagining like. <laughs> I'm just imagining the being like a Debbie. <laughs> just yeah. some, just somewhere in. Hiya, De- Debbie. Hiya, Debbie. Hiya, love. Have you seen that Jesus down road? Hey, tell he's performing miracles left, right, and centre. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, I'm going to give you like a brief, brief idea, okay? So, there was this sort of period of time when, if you think about the Israelites, you know mm. how Moses takes them out of his Egypt, yeah? Yeah. And then Moses leads them for a while. And then Joshua, who is Moses' right-hand man, leads them after Moses dies. And then for the longest time, they don't have a king. They don't have any any kind of line of kings or anything, which is quite no. unusual considering that most sort of like tribes and countries and the rest of it would have done. Yeah. So for this period of time, I'm going to say roughly around 1300 to 1000 BC, very roughly, they had a group of leaders called uh, the Judges. Okay. okay? So the judges were uh, an unelected, non-hereditary military leaders. When I say the judges, it sounds like there was a, a Supreme Court bench, but it wasn't. <laughs> they all served fairly consecutively. And they are, they're effectively, they, they make a big thing about them not being kings, but they're not a million miles off. They are a, a fairly autocratic leader who sort of just does does their own thing, you know? Who, who, sort who, of um, kind of like a king. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a king, but not quite like a king. Yeah, That's no, the I, best I get way it, to I get it. They're, like, they're sort of like a proto-king. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So anyway, there's this woman called Deborah, right? <laughs> and there's a big thing in Judges 4.3 where we get a first intro- introduction to it. So there's Deborah, uh, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. Now here's the interesting thing. Lapidoth could just be the name of a husband, right? It could just be that is the name of the guy, all yeah, right? Yeah. But lapid translates as torch or lightning. So possibly yeah. a woman of Lapidoth could be referencing Deborah as a fiery woman. 
So oh. it could be. That's 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 linguistically. Dev- that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and a, obviously a prophet is somebody who who sort of speaks to God and God speaks back and everything. Yeah, yeah. So one way of reading this is Deborah, a prophetess and a total badass, <laughs> was leading Israel at the time. That is the that is the Giles translation, you know. So <laughs> anyway, she is she's like this sort of fairly autocratic military leader. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the Israelites are having hassle from somebody again. <laughs> and she summons <laughs> Staffens every uh, every thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> just, just come so in and just she, like just so, have that sorry sorry so the people of Israel are being oppressed by Jabin who's the king of Canaan mm. and uh, and they've been oppressed by him for, for 20 years you know so Deborah sends a message to Barak which oh. believe it or not when I was reading this when I was like uh, 15 or whatever seemed quite an unusual name now it seems totally normal you know if anything um, Barak if anything a symbol of hope <laughs> yeah, yeah well here's the interesting thing in my notes it says that Barak means thunderbolt which suggests that he's summoned to be the lord's flashing sword which that is a pretty cool name i mean i've got to say president thunderbolt obama i am here for that so anyway deborah says that uh i I will lure sisera the commander of jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the kishon river and give him into your hands now barak said to her if you go with me i'll go but if you don't go with me i won't go which is like mom if you're gonna come with me then i'll I'll do it but (laughs) I don't want to do it on my own. You I'm, know? I'm scared. Like, like serious military leader saying, um, oh, go feel your hand. You know? <laughs> yeah, just there, just go like. So clearly, my mum can come with, okay? Deborah's has very little hassle for nonsense. So she says in verse 9, very well, Deborah said, I'll go with you. But because the way you are going about this, the honour will not be yours, but the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh where he nice. So basically what she's saying, like, <sighs> fine, I'll go with you. But because you're li- being a little whiny princess, <laughs> people will know that you didn't win this victory, that this victory was gained by a woman. And anyway, they, they go, right? And then Deborah said to verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, go, this is your day. The Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down the mountain table, followed by 10,000 men. I like the fact he's got 10,000 men, but it's Deborah that makes him feel safe, you know? Yeah, 10,000 men is now when it comes to yeah. our Debbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Barak pursued the chariots and armies as far as Harasheth Hagayim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword, not a man was left. Now Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tents of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was a friendly relationship between Jabin the king of Hazor and the clan of Heber. So Sisera, who's this general, has run into a woman's tent, okay? Oh no. Now, we're sort of like a thousand BC. You don't go into a woman's tent unless you are A, married to her, or B, her father. That's not cool. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just not on. Like, man don't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> JL went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered the tent and put, she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. So brilliant system for not being detected. Yeah, no, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's, that's foolproof, yeah. actually. Yeah, absolutely. But JL, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. I mean, if you're going to be that much of a cheeky so-and-so... How dare... <laughs> 
<laughs> How dark is that, you know? He's like, excuse me, I'd like to hide here for a while and can I have a bit of milk? Yes, of course you can. I'm going to impale you. <laughs> I think that um, that JL, her sort of family, were they weren't Israelites, but they were allied with the Israelites. But this just shows me, even going back to an ancient text like what we're finding in the Old Testament here, women are incredibly powerful and nobody messes with them. That That is and Game the- of Thrones level of like quite harsh. I know right you know like that's red wedding know, level right? yeah and you don't know much about them and I'd go so far as to say that there's probably a lot of Christians that don't know much about them because people don't talk about women in power in the Bible you know and it's mm. incredibly frustrating but Absolutely. I just like I say I just saw an opportunity to, to sort of tell you about about Deborah that's, or that's, Debbie Debbie's great anyway talking about Mulan which is the entire reason we're actually oh yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah Mulan uh, yeah yeah do you remember the one scene where she, after she's had the battle with the witch and when she goes back to her armor, uh, sorry, when she goes back to to the army, she's kind of shedding the armor one by one. You're throwing oh, yeah, off the, yeah. the gauntlets that, yeah. and the and the rest of it. Now, I don't have a Bible verse or a, or a parallel to sort of back this up here, but one thing I was interested in was that she is more effective when she is herself. You know, when she's not mm. trying to be somebody else or anything like that. And one thing you'll see time and again in a lot of Christian circles is the idea that you have to. Be be a certain way to be a follower of God. We see this particularly in America uh, and in and in the Bible Belt, where there is this cookie cutter idea of what it is to be a Christian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's one. It's it's something that puts yeah. me off quite a bit. Like seeing that kind of thing. Absolutely. Perpetuated. And it's it's probably more of an issue over in the States than it is over here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's still this this idea that you have to fit into this very rigid idea of what a Christian is, you know? When somebody says, That's not very Christian of you, is it? Like, Usually <laughs> the people who are saying that aren't actually Christians themselves. I was gonna say they have like, no freaking clue how complicated yeah, it is. What where what what authority do they have to say that if they're not Christians themselves? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the, the general point I'm trying to make here is you don't need to lose everything that makes you, you to be a Christian. We need people of all different shapes and sizes, temperaments and personalities and interests. In short, I guess what I'm trying to say is we need more Christians who are geeks, you know? There needs to be <laughs> need more, more. Pro- progressive Christians. That's what we need. <laughs> yes. Most of the Bible parallels that I saw in this film, or that really struck me, were towards the end of the film. So after she's after she saved the empire and everybody's happy and all the rest of it, she returns home and her sister comes up running to, to hug her. And then there's the scene with her dad. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. When she comes back and she's like, "I'm sorry, I lost the sword," and that she's like, "Yeah." She was like, and he's like, "No, don't worry about it. I, I just wanted you to come back. I, I just I care yeah, about you. You're the yeah. most important thing to me in my life." I, she, I shed a tear there. Yeah, she says, "I'm, I'm sorry." I, uh, I lost your sword I know it meant everything to you and he responds with it is my daughter that means everything to me and so um, you would hope that is a, a universal theme but to me yeah. I saw a lot of, uh, of of hits of the of the prodigal son in there mm, you know okay. so we know you know the general gist of the, the prodigal son that you know he, he's greedy he wants to go out have fun and the rest of it and then he loses all his money you know he, he ends up sort of like working in a job where he's feeding the pigs and the pigs get better food than him and yeah. there's this bit in Luke 15 17 24 mm-hmm. when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare 
And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. I love that. I love it. I love it so much because you could sum up the prodigal son in two sentences. I don't care what you've done. Just come home. It's okay. You've made a mistake. I get it. And the thing is, whilst it's whilst it's also good parenting advice, it's a microcosm of how God feels about humanity. A lot of the time, you tend to get non-believers who either fit into roughly two camps, where they think they don't need God, or the ones who think they are so terrible, God couldn't possibly want them. And there's this tiny mm. sliver in between of people who are able to say, I'm really sorry, can I please come back? And God is there going, yeah, okay, it's cool. You know, he's... Yeah, yeah. he's don't, don't worry, don't worry, yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. You want you want you want a drink? You can have a drink. There you go. You want some yeah. food? I've got this nice jumper I bought you the other day. I missed you that much. You know, that's what I imagine it's like. Yeah, he is tripping over himself to forgive you and to bring you back into the fold. And he doesn't care about the specific. He doesn't care about this, that, or the other. He's just glad that you're back. You know. Yeah. I feel like that. Uh, there's there's family members that were were struggling with uh, that I'm struggling with at the moment, and uh, I'm just like, I don't care what you did. I don't care. Who said what? I just want you to be okay. I just need you to come back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I get. You know? I get that. I totally get that. Because you just think that the constant in all of this is that you are my family and I love yeah. you, and that's not going to change no matter yeah. what. And if you come back, we can sort everything out. But just please come back. The last point I wanted to make was: Do you remember again towards the end where Mulan Mulan's back home? She's sort of she's reconciled with her family and everything, and then this sort of imperial army kind of turns up and. They've got this sword for her, and it's like engraved with bravery, courage, and all all these stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then the next shot, they could they could have cut to just about anybody, but in that one scene, they cut to. Do you remember the matchmaker? Oh yeah, he was just like oh. the matchmaker. <laughs> the matchmaker literally faints. You know? <laughs> She's just like, I can't believe this is so unwomanly of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This made me think of a of a piece of scripture, and it's basically the entire reason we're doing an episode on Mulan. Yeah. It's from the the Psalms. That's written by King David, or at least people in King David's time. You know, a good mm. few hundred years before Jesus is born, and it says, "The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." Now, do you know what that means? Uh, in building, terms? it's okay to say no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I'm not entirely sure. Basically, you've got to make a house. You're making a house out of stones, and you've got a big, nice, big, chunky, hopefully sort of squarish, kind of solid, substantial stones, right? Yeah. And the cornerstone is is the one that you start with. It's the one that it's the the point that you kick off with the the, the most important one. Right. And it has to be the most perfect stone, if you like, to function as the the as, linchpin, if you like, yeah. for 
yeah, the entire it. house. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's the starting point, and it has to it has to be of a certain dimension and shape. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if the builders reject a stone, they're rejecting it because it's not good enough. You know, it's it's irregular shape, or it's not strong enough, or or anything like yeah. that. And in the same way, the matchmaker basically rules out Mulan. She says, "You'll never make a good wife," and you're it's effectively saying your life is entirely over. <laughs> and yet, this person that is basically what it what, what it means. Horrible, point, horrible person. Yeah. Screw that woman. Oh. But she rejects her, and then this person she rejects saves the entire empire. Have that matchmaker woman. She's exactly. the bloody saviour of China, and she didn't ask so, her husband to do it. The reason that particular verse is so famous is it comes back later on in uh, Matthew. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in your eyes. So the cornerstone, the, the stone that the builders rejected, is Jesus. Yeah. He's the one that is brought down to save the, the Israelites, to save the Jewish people. They reject him and he ends up being the foundation for salvation itself. No, I get it. I get it. Essentially, what he's saying is, hey, you know that saviour that you've been waiting around for forever? That's me. Right, right here, you guys. It's just like, so. just like damn, I'm going to save you all. God, I'm going to save you. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of aggressive saving in this episode. Yeah, definitely. So that concludes our Finding the Faith in the Film section. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Because we have a review that is an absolute Ooh. monster of a review. Yep. And it is so... It's so long, so in-depth, and so different that I really wanted to share it with you and with our listeners. Let's do it. So this is a guy called Ripon, who is an old school friend. We lost touch, and we seem to have connected recently. And here's what he had to say. As a monotheist, brackets Muslim, and an avid film fan, I found your podcast to be one of the most interesting I've listened to in a long time. In under 40 minutes, this episode managed to give me loads of history and trivia from the making of the film. Oh, by the way, it's the Christmas episode we did. Oh, right. Cool, cool. Yeah. It highlighted the effects of debt, which led to the protagonist, George Bailey, to attempt suicide, and goes as far as bringing the spokesperson from a charity that helps with debt relief. And then you totally surprised me by being self-critical and breaking down the fact that Christmas is, in actual fact, an amalgamation of many different pagan rituals and celebrations and has little to do with the birth of Jesus. Peace be upon him. In Islam, the love for Jesus is paramount. Jesus, peace be upon him, is one of the most revered messengers of Allah in the Quran, or Muslim Bible, if you will. Mm-hmm. He is one of the most mentioned prophets, and there is even an entire chapter titled and dedicated to his mother, Mary, or Maryam in Arabic, peace be upon her. To put it bluntly, no Muslim can be a Muslim if they do not believe in Jesus, or in in Arabic, uh, Isa. Uh, peace be upon him. It is the pagan element to Christmas that which many Muslims have difficulty integrating with. So to hear you discuss this topic of Christmas from both a Christian and an atheist was just unexpected and highly refreshing. Also having an atheist viewpoint is masterful and it creates a well-rounded questions and perspective of how the film was received. I love your show and inshallah God willing I'll be listening to all the other episodes. Amazing. How is that? I love that. I'm what a guy. Thank you Ripon. Like, I don't know what to say. We've, we've put a lot of work into this podcast and it's just nice to have just one person that appreciates it that much. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, it's just that, that makes it all worth yeah. it. If one person saw the effort and the time that both me and Giles put in, that's great. Can I ask a quick yeah. question just before we continue? Go for it. So you're yeah, saying peace be upon him or her. Was that in the review? So in Islam, when you're talking about certain people, Jesus, Muhammad, and in this case, uh, Maryam, yeah. you always have to add 
peace be upon him or peace be upon her. Right. Are you with me? Okay. Now, yeah, I'm just curious. I, Do you I, know I what? Just... I reckon at some point we get rip on onto the, onto the episode and we can hear God in film from a Muslim perspective that as well. That would be absolutely you know? wonderful. I'd be fascinated and privileged, especially after that. Absolutely. Ladies and gents, our next episode and our final episode of season two, yes, I cannot believe we're here already, is going to be The Shack. A not so well-known film. Seek it out. It is on Amazon and it's definitely worth your while. And uh, we're going to be discussing that one and it's going to be good. awesome. Phil, have you had a good time? Absolutely. I mean, I had the excuse for this episode to watch a film that had a lot of martial arts and gravity-defying stuff in it. So, yeah, it's belting. Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I had an awesome time too. Ladies and gents, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Gordon Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Fact checking and waffle editing by Christina Stanard Good. Gordon Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review. Unless it's a one star, in which case, please enrol at an accredited further education college, gain your level two certificate in childcare education, go on a course and get a paediatric first aid certificate. Turn up at my house with your credentials and clean DBS check and look after my son for a few hours. Then you can slag off the podcast right at me and I will have a smile on my face.